Good morning, everybody. We're in Matthew 21. We've been working our way through the book of Matthew, and we're coming up to a wonderful climax in the next few weeks because when we get to the passion story, the time that Jesus went to the cross, it's going to be around Easter time. And so on Easter Sunday, we're going to be celebrating the resurrection, but we'll also be at that point in Matthew's gospel where uh, Jesus rose from the dead. And so these next few weeks are part of the build-up to that story. And this chapter that we're looking at today marks one of the moments when things move on to another level. Uh, Jesus has been going around doing different things, ministering in different places, teaching, healing, doing wonderful things. And now he's set his face towards this final leg of his journey. And here we get into Matthew 21 and Jesus is moving into Jerusalem, which is going to be the place where the final week of his uh, earthly life is going to be enacted before his resurrection. And so we're going to read that uh, today and talk about what that meant for Jesus and how Jesus walked through that week in his life. Some of you may remember, but on January the 4th in 1989, the Chinese government cracked down with brutal force on a peaceful demonstration that had been happening in Tiananmen Square in the middle of Beijing. I've stood in Tiananmen Square, and Tiananmen means the gates of heavenly peace. And up to 1.2 million people had been in that square over the previous weeks and months, demonstrating towards wanting a more open government and democracy uh, in the land after one of the leaders had been taken out of power who was moving that way. Well, on that night of the 4th of June, the government sent in the most brutal units of the Chinese army and they cracked down on the demonstration. Foreign media had been removed from the square two or three days in advance so they couldn't see what was going on. Uh, The Chinese government said at the time that the numbers of those killed was in the hundreds. The Chinese Red Cross said it was two and a half thousand. But uh, documents that have since come out, most recently from the ambassador, the UK ambassador to China who was there at the time, said that the number is more around 10,000 people that were killed in one night on Tiananmen Square. The very next morning, the tanks rolled back into the square in a long column, probably to seal the square against any further demonstrations. One Chinese young man, somewhere in his 20s, with two plastic shopping bags, walked out into the middle of the square and in a moment that was captured in pictures all the way around the world, stood in front of that column in tanks. When you look at the photograph, you see four tanks. There wasn't four tanks. When you look at the bigger photograph, there was a whole line of them lined up behind. When the tank driver went one way, he moved one way. When the tank driver moved another way, he moved the other way. He was not going to get out from in front of those tanks until two people ran out of the crowd, grabbed him and took him away. Nobody knew who those two people were. They didn't know whether they were friends or whether they were the secret police. And nobody knows who the man was. All these years later, still nobody knows his name. He is just simply known on the internet as Tank Man. What was he doing the day after such a massacre, standing in front of tanks on Tiananmen Square? Well, for whatever reason, he believed it was his time to be brave. It was his time to stand up. It was his time to say what needed to be said, even if it could cost him his own life. And as we look into Matthew 21, we look into this moment of Jesus's life, which was similar. 
He stood, the tank man stood against the vast armies of the Chinese army. Jesus stood against all the darkness of hell and Hades and everything else that was arraigned against him. And he stood there alone at the time of most crucial need. He stood there for you. He stood there for me because he decided it was time to take a stand. It was time for Jesus to be brave. And as Jesus walked through that week, we can see an example of what it looks like for someone to bravely walk through the tough times of life. You might be going through tough times yourself. This might be your time to be brave in your family, in your home, in your workplace, in your marriage. All sorts of different ways. Those of us who have lost loved ones even this last week. Those of us who are facing our own journey into death. Times to be brave. And we're living in a culture where times like these are going to increase. You can be killed going to school now. It happens on a more regular basis than anybody would ever have believed 20 years ago. And we're living in a day when governments are trying to push through legislation that's as far away from the Christian values on which many of those governments were founded as we have ever been. These are times to be brave. These are times to be courageous. These are times to stand up, step up, speak up, do what Jesus asks us to do. And in these days, we have a wonderful example before us of how to walk through those days. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning out of John chapter 21. So let's read some of the verses. I'm going to read some of them. I will highlight some of them as we go through this this morning, beginning to read at verse 1. The words are up on the screen behind you. If you've got a device or a Bible, I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. Now, when Jesus drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying them to go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming. Humble. And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. Most of the crowd sped their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? Crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. But you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were exceeding glad. (laughs) They were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read 
Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. Matthew then goes on to recount a story about Jesus cursing a fig tree that had no fruit on it for him. And the tree withered and died. And they were amazed at the power that he had. But Jesus actually said to them, you have that same power and authority. And we're going to look at that a little later on. When he comes back into the temple, the chief priests and the leaders have the same question for him. Where do you get this power from, they ask. And he turns it back on them and he says, I'm going to ask you a question. And if you answer my question, I will answer your question. The baptism of John, where does it come from? From heaven or from men? And they didn't know how to answer that question. So Jesus said, well, I'm not going to answer your question either. And then he continued by telling two parables, two stories that have meaning. The first was about a father who had two sons. He sent them out into the fields to work. The first one said, yes, uh, no, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to go. But later he changed his mind and he went out and did it. The second son said, yes, I'm going to go. I'll be there. But he never got out of bed and went. And Jesus said to the chief priests and the rulers, so so which one of them obeyed the father? And they said, well, the first one, he obeyed the father. But they didn't realize that Jesus was talking about them. And so he turned it back on them and he said, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, listen to that, they're going to go into the kingdom of God before you. People in our generation need to hear that. If you don't change your attitude, you might think you have it all together. You might even think you're right with God. But if you don't obey what God's saying to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to get into heaven before you do. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. And then he told another parable about a vineyard owner, who this time he rents it out to to different tenants. And he's going to send his uh, workers to come and collect the uh, produce at the end of the season. He sends the workers. They beat the workers and they kill them so they can keep the produce for themselves. So he sends some more workers and they do exactly the same thing again. So this vineyard owner sends this time, I'm going to send my son. Surely they'll respect my son. But they did exactly the same thing to his son. And then Jesus flips it round on them again and he says, well, what do you think that farmer's going to go do to the tenants what's the vineyard owner going to do to those people and the the scribes and the rulers they're all worked up because they've been listening to this story and and they say to him well he will put those wretches to a miserable end and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their season and they didn't realize he was talking about them Jesus said have you never read in the scriptures The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you. Because they were those very tenants. But when the son came to take the produce, they were going to kill him. And give to a people producing its fruit. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests, Pharisees heard his parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. As Ken said last week, Jesus has already told his disciples what's going to happen. 
In Matthew 16 and 17 and in Matthew 20, Jesus has already said to his disciples, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the rulers. They're going to take me and they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles, meaning the Romans, where I will be flogged, mocked, killed and crucified. And on the third day, I'll rise again from the dead. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. Not only did he know what was going to happen, he knew who was going to do it to them. He knew what awaited him in Jerusalem. But rather than avoid the confrontation, rather than say, I'll deal with that another day, rather than preserve himself for a bit longer, Jesus rode right into the middle of that murderous anger and jealousy. Not only did he do that, but he said some things that made them even more angry and seemed to stir up the very end that Jesus was prophesying. Why would he do that? He did it because it was the journey that his father asked him to make. And sometimes Father in heaven asks us to make difficult journeys. You might be in one right now. Sometimes it might feel like you are going into the very gates of hell itself. And we can want to avoid the issue. We can want to find another way around. Maybe for another day. Maybe preserve ourselves or whatever. But Jesus gives us a wonderful example of how we need to trust our Father in heaven. And when he asks us to do something, he's going to give us the grace to walk through it in a way that is going to glorify him in the most possible way. So let's look and take this apart. How does Jesus walk through these days? And what can that mean for us in the days that we live in today? I'm going to give us three pointers of how Jesus went about his journey this morning. And the first is this. Ride low. Ride low. A number of years ago, one of the elders at West Coast Christian Fellowship, which is part of our family of churches, it's the church that Ron and Mary came from in Vancouver. He'd built up a big real estate business, a successful real estate business, and he'd brought partners into the business as he had grown. But something happened along the way towards the end where the partners turned around on him and ousted him from his own business that he had built up. And it came down to his last day of work. Now, if that was my last day of work, I know what I wanted to have done. I'd have liked to have gone into those offices and gave them a piece of my mind and told them what I thought about their betrayal and I'd set you all up and this is what you've done for me. Not so Arnold Bennett. He went and bought some cakes and he went into the offices and he put the kettle on and he made them tea and served them dessert. That's what it means to ride low. Jesus knew the seething anger that he was walking into. Those religious leaders who were more interested in their own position and privilege than they were in serving the father that had put them there. He was the real king of Israel. He was born under a kingly star. He could have ridden in on a war horse. He could have gone in on a chariot to take up the throne of David, which was rightfully his. But Jesus wasn't going into Jerusalem to be lifted up on a throne. He was going into Jerusalem to be lifted up on a cross. 
He was not interested in pleasing the desires of men or their wishes or whims. He was only interested in pleasing the father who had sent him on this journey. And father had said through the prophet Zechariah, when the king comes to Zion, he's going to come humble and riding on a donkey. It's not so much that he was riding on a donkey. It was the fact that he would come in humility. Ride low. That word humility in the New Testament is the same word that's sometimes uh, translated as gentle or meek. And it doesn't mean being a doormat for people. Just lying down and let everybody walk over you. It's actually a word that you would use to describe a strong war horse. Immense power in its muscles. But allowing that strength to be led and guided by a rider sitting on its back that it could throw off at any time if it wanted to. That is meekness. Or the picture of a lion with a mouse under its claw. One little crush and it could destroy that mouse. But instead it chooses to use the strength to pet the mouse and put it on its way. That is meekness. Strength, power under God's control and influence. Jesus could have used his strength and his power to rise up and take control of the situation and make it into something that would suit his own needs. But he did exactly the opposite. Rather than dialing up his strength and his power, he dialed it right down so that the ordinary people received him gladly. The children ran to him joyfully. And the, those who are weak and unable to do normal life in normal ways, reached out to him fearlessly. He was eternally powerful and yet totally approachable. The Holy Spirit through the New Testament encourages us to have the same attitude. Paul, speaking to Titus and to the church he was looking after, said to them, let your gentleness be evident to everybody. Titus 3 verse 2. And that's the piece that I find difficult. I wrote this sermon on Monday morning. By five o'clock Monday afternoon, our world had been hit with some stuff to do with our family, health issues, doctors saying it's going to be like this forever. Lives suddenly changed. But I'd read this in the morning and written this in the morning. And the Lord says, I'm going to walk you through this. Walk with me. Ride low. Ride low. Doctors say things, people say things, you want to rise up, you want to take control. No, it's not going to be like that. It doesn't have to be like that or whatever. Or You want to get angry even at God. Why are you allowing this to happen in my... Ride low, ride low, ride low. I thought I was doing all right. I was being gentle with some, but not gentle with all. I don't know if you're like me, but I began to realize, or people were helping me to realize by the end of the week, that, that I was doing all right within my own barriers and the things I was dealing with and trying to ride low here but there were people who loved me and around me here and here and here and here and they weren't getting looked after in this process very well in fact some of them were getting some pretty sharp answers when they were asking questions I was trying to ride low with the Lord and everything else but my gentleness wasn't evident to all come to the end of the week I've been through a number of meetings where I've had to sit with people and listen to how my journey and the way I've done my journey has hurt them along the way people I would never want to hurt it's an opportunity to ride low ride low through what goes on in our lives I don't know what you're facing right now what areas of your life it's time to be brave 
But can I encourage you out of Jesus' example to ride low. Instead of turning up the dial, try and take control, dial down. Choose to take the kind, the gentle, the meek, the low road. And trust that God will look after you if you do. That's the first way that Jesus entered Jerusalem, riding low. But then you could also say out of these passages that we've been looking at that he walked tall. Meekness does not equal weakness. King David was the greatest warrior king of the Bible. But he said that it was God's gentleness that had made him great. Jesus himself has already told us in Matthew 5 and verse 5 that the meek are going to inherit the earth. Although he has ridden in in humility, Jesus hasn't lost one iota, one atom of his authority. In fact, riding low enables us to walk tall. And having entered Jerusalem as the lamb, he now enters the courts of the temple as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And the acts that follow are acts of judgment. He goes into the temple and he clears out the money changes. Those who are making profit out of the people who are coming to sacrifice. And he particularly goes after those people who are oppressing the poor. They're the people that were buying the pigeons because that's the, the poor person's sacrifice. And these people who were selling the pigeons were making money even out of the poor that coming to sacrifice. Jesus didn't just turn over their tables. He threw them off their seats. But again... He somehow does it in a way that the kids and the poor aren't scared of him. The opposite is true. The blind and lame come for healing. The children dance up and down around singing Hosanna to the son of David. Having cleared the temple, he then curses the fig tree, which doesn't give him fruit. It's a prophetic picture of what's going to happen to Israel and the very leaders that he's talking to. You're the fig tree. You haven't given fruit. There's something coming your way. You need to understand. You need to figure it out and repent before it's time. And the rulers say, what authority does he do this thing? Meekness does not mean weakness. He's still the king of glory. He's still the son of God, the one and only of the father. He just carries his authority in a way that makes him totally accessible and approachable, especially to the weak and the broken and the poor and the children and the outcast. But he does carry his authority and it upsets some people. And who does it upset? Well, it upsets those in authority because they're the only ones who are threatened by him chief priests, the religious leaders who thought they were in charge or the Romans who thought they were in charge or the devil and the demons who thought they were in charge. Jesus upset them all as he wielded the authority in the grace of God that God had given him. We too are sons and daughters of the living God. And Jesus says out of that parable of the fig, uh, of cursing the fig tree when his disciples say to him, that's amazing what you're doing. And Jesus says, but you can do this too. You can have this authority. You can speak to a mountain and say, you be cast into the heart of the sea and it will go. In the name of Jesus Christ, we carry more authority than anybody else on this planet. It doesn't matter what level of government they have or how much money they have in their bank account. If we carry the name of Jesus Christ in our hearts and we live by faith in that name, we have more authority than anybody else on this planet. And that authority should not be a threat to the poor and the broken. It should be the opposite of that. 
It should be the place they run to because it feels so accessible and so approachable. But there is a time when a church needs to rise up and needs to speak truth. And the people that may be upset may be the people in authority. It may cost us. It may cost our families. But sometimes there's a time to be brave. There's a time to walk tall. We live in a day when our government is pushing the boundaries of those things. And we're praying for our government. If you were at our prayer summit, we prayed with tears for Justin Trudeau. That he would find Jesus. Because that's his greatest need. But they're pushing the boundaries. If you're not watching what's happening, you need to get your eyes open. And it's not the place of the church just to become a doormat. Because it was never the place of Jesus Christ to be a doormat. And it doesn't mean we rise up in anger and we rise up in whatever. We don't have to do that. Jesus didn't. But there is a place to stand. There is a place to speak. There is a place to walk like the children of the living God. Tall as well as riding low. Finally, Jesus spoke straight. He rode low, he walked tall, and he spoke straight. A visiting preacher got carried away in a little Methodist church in the late 1930s, pre-Second World War in Northern England. Leaning over the pulpit, she shouted out, All Germans are bad! A young father sitting three rows back with his two young children said, No! No! The preacher got very red in the face and bounced up and down in the pulpit and said, But yes, Mr. Todd! Yes! That was my granddad. He was a very gentle, sensitive soul. His mother said, All you had to do was look at him and say very simple things and he would break down and cry. He was so easy to turn. He was so sensitive. But when someone's lying from the pulpit, somebody needs to say something. It's time to speak straight. Some of us find speaking straight very difficult. I do. It doesn't come easily for me. You can ask Ron and the people who live around me. I spend too much of my time thinking about how what I'm just about to say is going to impact the people that I'm speaking to and the people who are hearing it. And I'm so worried about what they're thinking sometimes that I have difficulty actually saying what I mean to say. Barney Coombs, who's Ron's pastor and has been a father to us in the faith as a church for many years, he took me aside one day after listening to me talk for a while and said, Peter, you need to learn to ski straight down the slope. You know what he means by that? Just don't zig around, zag around. You know, what are you really saying? Say it. <laughs> I have a number of people who say that to me who try to help me. So it's not easy for me to speak straight. But by the grace of God, I'm learning. And grace of God, incidentally, comes in the form of people. It comes in the form of people who say, Peter, you are not speaking straight. Say something straight and help you to grow because you can grow. And you'll discover at the end of this, we all have the capacity to speak straight because it comes with the spirit of God. If you have the spirit of God in you, you have the capacity to speak straight. We just need to learn how to do it. But Jesus did it in very interesting ways. Actually, three different ways in this chapter. Let me unpack them for you as we come to a close. The first was when he spoke out bold truth. 
He had no problem saying what needing to be said absolutely bluntly clearly. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you made it into a den of robbers. There it is. You didn't have to then say to Jesus, okay, could you just unpack that for us? Like, what did you mean? I think it's pretty clear what he meant. You've made this house into a house of robbers. It was very clear. But he didn't always speak straight that way. Jesus sometimes used other ways to speak straight. Here's a second way he spoke straight. He used awkward questions. In answer to the question, by what authority do you do these things? He could have spoken straight and true. He wasn't frightened to speak the truth because he later did. Here he is a few chapters later in Matthew. The high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. Jesus said to him, you've said so. In other words, you got that one, right? And then he says, but I tell you, from now on, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power. It got him crucified. But right now wasn't the right time to speak like that. Jesus knew he had a few days left before that was coming. And so rather than speak straight out and tell them the truth, he asked them a question. But it was a question that was designed to reveal their hearts. And he did it three times in the next few verses. I will tell you by what authority I do these things. If you can tell me about the baptism of John. Uh, Did that come from heaven or was it from man? And they were absolutely trapped. They tried to trap him. But Jesus is never trapped. And the reason Jesus doesn't have to get defensive is because he never feels threatened. Like you and I feel threatened. He never feels like he's the victim in the middle of a lot of other circumstances that are trying to put him down. He's not a victim. And in Christ Jesus, you and I are not victims. And when we rise up and want to get defensive, we might want to think about Jesus' example. He didn't defend himself. He didn't have to. He had a father in heaven who was perfectly capable of doing that. Even when he went to the cross, he said to Pontius Pilate, you would have no power over me if it hadn't been given to you from heaven. He knew exactly who he was and that's why he could talk to people the way that he did. Sometimes when walking into difficult or confrontational situations, and we all have confrontations in our lives, and it's good to face them. Sometimes it's better not to walk in like a bull in a china shop, particularly if you've made judgments about people. Sometimes it's better to ask a question. It's one of the first things Ron taught me, because I I struggle with confrontation. Ask a question, Peter. You don't have to make a judgment. You don't have to put people down. You don't have to say, you did this and you did this and you did this. Just say, you know... When this happened, was this how you were feeling about it? Is this what you meant to do? It's not bang, bang, bang confrontational, but it is an awkward question. But it gives an opportunity for the other person to respond in a way that you can restore relationship. Sometimes when you go in, bang, 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 you're not going to restore anything. Right? Jesus knew how to ask an awkward question. And the third way that Jesus spoke was through clever creativity. If you're a little bit creative, you'll love this. I love this. Because Jesus used his creativity to say things to people. Have you ever wondered how and when Jesus got the time to make up the stories he told? Because they were incredible stories. They were very clever, very to the point, 
And they got you right in. They drew you right in. Those chief priests and leaders, they were right into the story about the vineyard. They did what to the son? They killed the son. That's terrible. Well, what would you do? Oh, I would get those tenants. I would take them out and I would kill them. And they were totally in the story. They didn't realize Jesus was talking about them until the light went on. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But it was done through clever creativity. The devil knows the power of clever creativity. And if you don't believe that, you're not watching what's happening in our world. Whether it's through entertainment or, or whatever. He uses creativity, his own version, all the time to sow his values into this world. He knows the power of it. Jesus told stories. And as a result of him telling stories, they got caught in the net of their own judgments. Because it revealed their hearts. Stories are helpful, aren't they? My same granddad who was a Methodist local preacher, said to me, Peter, when you're preaching, don't be like the pilot of a plane who goes round and round and round the airport and he's just about to land and then he takes off again. And he comes round, he's just about to land and then he takes off again. Some of you have heard preachers like that. Maybe I've been like that. He's always got another last point. How many last points can you have? He said, if you're going to preach... You need to be the sort of pilot who knows when he's going to land his plane and he lands his plane. He puts it down and you're done. Figure out what Jesus wants to say at the end. Say it and be done. So he told me a story. And out of a story, he taught me how to land a plane, which I'm just about to land. So you'll be very grateful for that. There are times in all of our lives when it's time to be brave. There's times in our culture when it's time to be brave. And we're seeing it all around us. 35-year-old teacher who chose to stand at the doorway of his classroom and usher the girls into the room before he closed the door. He never got into the classroom. Right? That happened this week in Florida. It's time to be brave. You might have situations of your own, journeys that Jesus has got you on, which are testing your courage more than you've ever known before. Can I encourage you and can I encourage us as a people in what we're facing and in the people that God is calling us to be in our generation. Let's ride low. Let's walk tall and speak straight. And don't say, I can't do that. I'm too shy. I'm too bombastic. I can't do that. Well, you might be that in your old nature but please do not sign up to live by your old nature for the rest of your life you have a new nature it is the spirit of Christ who dwells in you you have the lamb of God motivating your heart and your life you can ride low And you have the lion of the tribe of Judah sitting on the throne of your heart. You can walk tall and you can speak straight. You might just need, like me, someone to help you know how to do it. Maybe this morning you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've heard me talk this morning and think, oh, if only I'd gone through life like that, my life wouldn't be the wreck it is. 
I never dealt with issues in my life, right? I've lost my wife, my husband. My... You could have lost all sorts of things, your health along the way. Because not living the way Jesus tells us and helps us to live is a losing process. It's never too late to come to Jesus. It's never too late to invite him into your heart to take up the throne. Jesus, ride into my life like you rode into Jerusalem. If you need to speak straight to me, speak straight to me. Lord, if you need to kick over some tables, kick over some tables. But I want you at the center of my life, at the center of my heart, at the center of my world. And I want your spirit to be my spirit and alive in me. If that's your prayer this morning, you can receive that spirit of God and that new life right here, right now, before you leave. As you go into this week and the challenges that are before you, let me encourage you out of the example of Jesus to ride low, to walk tall, and to speak straight.